0: Hey team, welcome to episode 80 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. As a full service dental transition advisor, it's no doubt we receive a ton of questions here at NDP. If you listen to episode 79, we talked specifically about those we get from buyers. It's our passion for equipping both sides of the transaction, and so in this episode, we are going to talk about the four top questions we get from a seller's perspective. Remember, every transition is unique. The answers to these questions will inevitably look different for each individual and each transition, but we think there's some commonality between them and think you're going to get some great insight and direction from us today on these pieces. Mr. Loretto, how are you this
1: morning? I am just relaxed. It's a Monday morning recording. (laughs) You know, had the nice long weekend, got the little sunshine, you know, so I'm ready to roll, you know, and while I was on the plane, I, you know, heard you we did the podcast with David on the corporation so you know I get a little jealous sometimes <laughs> David did a good job there he did do yeah, a good job yeah, yeah so uh no doing good how about yourself
0: Pretty good. I mean, just, you know, kind of working away and have a lot of big changes here as we approach spring and good meetings that we're gonna be at and a big move for us as an organization.
1: We are making a giant move. For our listeners that have never been to our office, we are in Plano, Texas, just north of the DFW market. And we've been in this building for 11 years. And we kind of bought this on the downturn of the economy back in the 09, 10 area where everything was cheap. Mm -hmm. And so we got a great deal. And then now we're moving up north to Frisco and a new office. And it's just been exciting to plan with new office furniture and design and decor and cool restaurants all around there. So I think it's gonna be amazing for our team and obviously for all our clients that, that travel in to see us. So very exciting, maybe a little nervous for the 50-year-old guy to sign those kind of numbers <laughs> and the lease and those numbers, but you know, it's all gonna work out. It's, it's about all, the growth, it's about the just growth. Just like you guys, and you go borrow all the money, it's all gonna work out, it's all gonna work out.
0: And it's so funny, like announcements made, we're moving and then they start renovating this building downstairs oh, yeah. there's like finally now like right. a place you can get snacks downstairs right. before there never was yeah. so i know it's fine but then it's gonna be much better yeah. uh at the star in frisco so well okay today like i said in the intro last episode we talked about buyers and kind of the top questions and this really started from us just saying like hey we get these questions all the time let's come up with like a top five questions we get on these calls and we came up with so many that the kind of the need to segregate these two are helpful just like last episode when it was directed more towards the buyers and we said, hey, sellers, this is a great episode for you to listen to. Same here, right? This is directed for questions we get from sellers, but I think buyers, you will hopefully find some little nuggets of information and wisdom. And again, putting the shoe on the other foot of what's happening on the other side of that transaction is always really important for us. So top on our list is, how do I know if the buyer is a right fit okay and when I think about this question two kind of paths come to mind so it's like a two-parter one how do I know if the person's the right fit if it's more of like a walk away or just like a straight 100 percent acquisition and then two how do I know if this person's the right fit to be my partner short or long-term partner work marriage nonetheless what are your thoughts
1: so in the reverse order, let's go back to just the associate. You know, are you ready for the associate? Maybe that's gonna lead into a partner. I can certainly give you the answer to that. You know, how do you know when you're ready? But the first thing I would say is you need to be ready. Mm-hmm. So you have to emotionally be ready to give up control. Your practice has to be able to support this person. You could find the perfect person, but if you don't have the right chairs set up, you got some three or four chair practice where you need the fifth or sixth that's not equipped for it. You've got 10 new patients a month. You know, it could be a situation where you're doing six or 700 collections it's just not big enough. So the first thing, you have to have the patience, you have to be mentally ready, financially ready, then it's a lot easier for you to, to interview these people. So when you do get to that point, then it's gotta be a situation where it's not just you are ready, your family is ready and even your team. They are tired of just hearing negative things back from the patients of, you know, how long it's taking and it just seems like they're always, always mm-hmm. behind and the stress of the of the senior doctor. So I think there's a lot of indicators there that are are telling you like, Hey, I really do need that help. And then from there it's just it's really just making sure that you have a very forward thinking plan of how this person is going to work, really understanding the break even of how much more dentistry you need to do to pay for and have a break even for this person. At what point do we start to set goals for a buy in? Do we have a transition team in place? So there's a lot of things. Just knowing that I want the senior doctor to really be ready and to really have a plan, it's like the first thing. I'd almost like interview the doctors. Are you sure you are mm-hmm. ready? For this process.
0: Yeah. And I think that's important because how do I know it's the right person is easier to know if you aren't worried and trying to figure out if you're ready or if the practice is ready or how do I do this because there's so much to think about. It's such an emotional process. There's so many logistics that having that plan and being prepared then allow you to say, okay, I know what I need. I know what my plan is. I know what I'm looking for. Now I can focus on like, is this person the right person? Are they clinically the right person? Are they personally the right person? All of those other factors you can focus in on without being influenced by all the logistics.
1: Clinically, you know, the same pace, or they're the two of you are going to be taking certain clinical courses together. They're driven. It's how they present themselves, how they communicate. Are they a person that shows up looking sharp and 10 minutes early, or are they, the meeting starts at, you know, eight and they're there at you know, 801 and they look like it's 801. You know, you're really looking for, you're going to be dating somebody. You want to have all these same qualities. Like, can I really see myself with this person on a long-term basis? Long-term in this case for an associate is going to be anywhere that you can envision them being one and two and three years. You're about ready to introduce them to your entire patient base, to all of your team, to your community. This is a big freaking thing. Yep. So yes, we definitely want to make sure that we're interviewing thoroughly. And again, t- I love it when the entire team is interviewing and you, we need to make our team aware that this is not a kind of a trial and error, let's just figure this out. But we are committed for this process. We just typically made a huge financial investment mm-hmm. for the practice on the expansion, the, maybe the marketing, the business consulting to even prepare to finding the right person.
0: Yeah. And I think things like personality testing, we use a thing called the cold culture index Those things can be helpful. I would also caution you that if you really, really like the person and you really, really enjoy their company outside of the office, that doesn't always translate to a good partner, right? Like you have to be able to communicate and talk about hard things and you have to have the right philosophy when it comes to managing people or managing the practice or managing patients. So the time that you're spending with someone beforehand, right? I have this plan. I know my practice needs this. I've identified this person. Like we recommend dinners individually dinners with spouses outside of the office talking about worst case scenarios right like all of those things will help ensure that you are on the same page because we have lots of friends who think differently than we do and would not run a business together I am married to my husband and would never ever ever work with him just because we're different people so like those things too oftentimes we'll we'll talk to people or say oh we're like best friends yeah but that doesn't always translate to partnership right so how do I know if it's the right fit it can come in a lot of different ways and so really exploring that relationship before you dive in, in addition to the clinical side, which obviously has to work.
1: And I do think that when you're trying to identify the person in this kind of first area, that's the perfect fit for you on the associate saying, it's actually way more important to me that we do a lot more pre-screening and interview on mm-hmm. that front. Mm-hmm. When I think about the perfect person that's going to transition from a hundred percent me owner to this person that's going to take over the business. I'm a little bit less picky. I mean, I'm still picky, but I'm a little bit less because I'm not going to be quote unquote in the marriage with them yep. in a true partnership. But I, will put a lot of pressure back on my senior doctors to make sure that if we are going to get on this partnership level, kind of a longer association. As a leader, you have to learn how to delegate. And a lot of that is just on a lot of the administrative tasks. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the administrative tasks here on this episode, but you have to be able to coach and lead people and to transition a lot of that workload, not just the clinical but the administrative component as well to that person. You have to understand there's a, typically a big age difference. You know They're very nervous about where they are, meeting these associates, and so they gotta be trainable mm-hmm. and you have to be that type of person that can train and to be able to demonstrate that with them and give them some grace because they're not going to be you people are always looking at themselves. Well, I want another driver like me. Sometimes that's not reality.
0: Well, and oftentimes you didn't start out like that. You were were built that over time. And so someone coming in is also trying to be respectful of you, right? They don't want to step on your toes. They don't want to come in looking like they're a bull in the China shop. They want to kind of learn. So it takes time for these younger buyers, younger partners, associates, whoever it might be to like get their footing and figure out kind of what type of manager they are. And you kind of have to definitely drive them. So definitely how to know they're the right fit. There's not one answer, not one formula. It really depends on what you're looking for, who you are. It probably matters less if you are doing a walkaway sale or kind of looking for that 100% buyer. But we've absolutely had sellers who say, hey, I'm looking for someone to buy 100% of my practice and I don't want to work back. But it's really important to me that the person has X, Y, or Z qualities because of my staff and patients, right? And so spending time with them is the only way you're going to know that because maybe you can't get your staff involved that early. And we'll talk about that at the end of this episode of like when to tell staff and how to get them involved. But if it's a partnership, like you said, your staff need to be involved because they're going to be the ones who are going to be working with that person.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and if it's a situation where you're going to be out, say, less than six months, then if you're in a rural area and it's hard to find somebody, then we can be, we need to tone that back a little bit as far as how picky we are. We need to find somebody to take over the business, period. If it's in a kind of a high demand market, and we have plenty of runway of finding that perfect person over the next one to two to three years. And your transition plan is just to be there for three, four, five, six months. Then we have literally years to look for that perfect. We don't have to be as in a dire need, like okay. I've got to find the person and you know execute immediately. So I've always found it interesting that the senior doctors, it's not about the money, but this component of finding that right person is one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of shocking. It's not, what's my value? How can I get $50,000 more? I just bought the piece of equipment. How do I get this? That's probably 10% of the people who deal with 90% is just finding that person. So just even coaching them yeah. early on. That's I love to do that with both my younger doctors and the staff are coaching them on how to look, how to interview. And eventually between them and their team and kind of a transition team, they can really work. And through we, we oftentimes
0: know if it's a right fit because the negotiations are so much easier when it's the right fit, because they talk to each other. And they're like, I'm not looking to take advantage, let's give here, I don't need that. And you know, this is important that he's set up for success or she's set up for success, I don't need that. You know, and and they talk, right? Like if we say, hey, there's something you guys aren't agreeing on, they're like, you know what? We're gonna meet for dinner, we'll hash it out and we'll let you know. And they come back and they're like, we talked about this and this is what we're gonna do. So you can always tell when it's going to be a good fit when their communication and just how the transition's going.
1: It makes me smile. When I think about people like that, Mm -hmm. it just, you know, it's going to work and it gives us the opposite anxiety when they're like, well, my attorney said, or, you know, I need for you to go to bat for me and tell them this, and you need to do this. And their attorney contacted me and it's just like, oh my goodness, can you guys Mm -hmm. not just talk Mm -hmm. and hash this out? It's their life's work. Give them some grace and it's your life's work. You're going to have to relax a little bit and to be able to understand this is a big commitment for that buyer. So give a little flexibility to them as well.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so how do we find said person, right? That's another question we get oftentimes for both sides. I think more often on the walkaway or acquisition side of like, how do I find this buyer, especially in those areas that may be harder to find someone? What advice do you give if it's either a growing practice and they're needing to find a partner or they're just needing to sell outright and they're not already connected with someone?
1: So when you're in that situation, and let's just say example one is I am a 45-year-old and I have you know, 40 new patients a month. It's a GP practice and we're booked out. I'm explaining to my team that we cannot continue to function this way. We will have to expand and we'll have to find somebody. And it's for the succession plan of the business. So I'm being upfront with my patients, being upfront with my team as far as what our plans are, that we're planning on bringing another doctor in the business. So when that's the case, I'm setting them, everyone up for success. And then I'm going out and I'm telling everybody. I'm telling you know, if I work with Shine I'm telling them and but I'm also telling Patterson Bitco. I'm telling, I'm going out and posting on state, local, my study club knows it, the dental school that feeds into Mm -hmm. that area, the dental schools that maybe feed in, AGD, GPR programs. If I'm taking Spears courses, whatever I'm doing, I'm telling everybody I know, all those faculties that I, Charles and Plano, Texas, am looking for this type of person. So I should not be hesitant, cautious what this is going to look like. I'm, advertising on maybe dental forums, Facebook, I'm not hiding it, mm-hmm. okay? So I tell the same thing to my young people that are trying to find something. You have to put yourself and become a marketer. And this will create opportunities. So maybe we're looking at two, three, four candidates. This will allow you not to feel stressed about, i met this one, do I make the decision? You know, interview very slow, especially mm-hmm. because it's such a big decision. And then if it is on the transition, let's say it's more of the early 60 guy or early 60 gal, whatever it may be, I understand why you would be nervous about maybe telling your patients, but I'm always of the belief that you're open with them. I'm not saying I'm going to quit tomorrow, but I'm just saying when patients are asking, hey, doctor, how much longer do you plan on being here? You know, the answer is, well, I plan on being here for as long as you allow me to be here as long as I do good work. Am I always looking for new team members that can add to our practice? Absolutely. I want the best for you. At some point, there will be a transition time for me. It's just not now. Mm -hmm. And I will be communicating with my team that we need a transition plan. If I retire at 60, 62, 65, 66, 67, I don't know. But, you know, Jenny, you are 33 years old. I want to have a business that you can be gainfully employed with benefits and profit sharing plan. and You'd be happy here for the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. For us to have that, I have to have a succession plan. We have to have a succession plan. This is why we will interview and find the right person that will match our practice and what we're needing. How do I envision that? It's probably gonna be where I bring somebody on, mentor, and then we run the practice together and maybe I transition out somewhere over time. That is being honest. That process could work over five or seven years, that process could work over one year. Don't know. But just make sure that the team understands that they need to be involved in this process.
0: Yeah. And they know patients and staff like know at some point you are not going to be there. You know, what I mean, like right. that is just life. That's the evolution. So the clients we've worked with who have done this the best generally say when patients say, Hey, I hope you're not leaving. They'll be like, well, I am someday, but not tomorrow or not to, you know, and and so they're transparent, but they're not fully disclosing. I'm actively searching for someone or my plan is in two years, but they let them know that like, this is something that's going to happen in the future, but I care about you guys. And I'm going to do it with purpose, just like I've done everything else.
1: Well, and what happens when you don't have this plan to hang on to the consistency of the practice and even grow the practice is you're now in your sixties and now you start cutting back. Now you're cutting back from four days to three days and you're just naturally letting the practice go down mm-hmm. and the patients see it they call in i don't we don't see this patients in these days i've got off all these insurance plans the doctor is basically saying hey i'm trying to slow down mm-hmm. right so by allowing a plan and bringing someone in the patient's actually going hey there is this transition plan this young guy or young gal on the practice, they've come and done the hygiene checks and I really like them, mm-hmm. you know, and they're seeing some changes in the practice. And I even think about my own general practice that I go to and they have had a succession plan. They have multiple doctors coming in. I'm not thinking to myself, okay, who was the first guy that saw me? Okay. And when is his retirement plan? And he's not coming to see me anymore. I go because it's on time. Mm-hmm. They have... The exact type of technology I like. It's easy on me and it's reasonable. They're nice.
0: That's it. Yeah. And we've kind of morphed this question we started how to find a buyer and now we're kind of talking about when to tell staff and how to tell staff. And those two things go together, right? Sure. Because how you find someone and the process of finding someone, that's kind of the number one fear is that like, people are gonna find out when I'm trying to find this person, especially in 100% transition. And so confidentiality is important. Again, not telling them a plan, but like a lot of our clients are nervous and rightfully so, right? Not everyone's staff is super supportive or maybe super established, but they're nervous that as soon as they they say, Hey, I'm transitioning. There's going to be this like mass exodus. They're all going to leave to other practices. And for some practices, I'm sure that is like a valid concern and something that's a risk, especially in this economy of staffing. But I think that for the most part, when you tell your staff that you found a buyer, right, is a personal decision and that you have to do based on the personalities and what your plan is, right? So let's say you find someone and it's gonna be a partnership. I think that's a much easier conversation. It's just a preparation of you as the senior doctor of like laying the groundwork and being, you know, tone at the top. If you found like an actual buyer and you're gonna sell 100%, that's a harder, trickier thing. But I think you could still, like you said, Lay out the transition plan, lay out the reason, lay out the succession, the fact that I'm doing this for you and for the patients. But when you tell them probably does depend on your staff, right? Maybe you have an office manager or a business manager who's been with you for 20 years, and maybe you tell that person much earlier in the process, because maybe they have a a sixth sense and they're going to know something's going on and you want to be upfront and transparent with them. But maybe you have a younger set of staff, you know, below that office manager that they don't know you as much. And maybe they're one to gossip or maybe they're one to be super chatty with patients and you don't want them to find out. For those staff, we often say, hey, when you tell those staff, you need to have the transition pretty much figured out, right? And that could mean a week before closing, that can mean a month before closing, that can mean the day before closing, right? And everyone has their own opinion about how that feels and why and, and what that looks like, but there's no wrong answer if you've really thought about it and you've customized it to your team and what's going to be the best. I've seen staff who are told two or three months before and it works swimmingly, and then I've seen those that are told two weeks before, you know, and it's closer and it feels, that feels icky to some sellers, but it was best for their team, right? Because they didn't have all the answers of how to answer what's going to happen and who's going to do this. And they didn't have the security to be able to tell the team in the right time. So.
1: You're right. I, I never really thought of it that way, but I think that for the sellers, it, it really has to do with their kind of confidence and their leadership skills of how to address those questions.
0: Oh, hundred percent. Because if know? you don't have the answers, then that just breeds like all kinds of yeah. nervousness from your staff, like what's going to be different. Are they going to take away my health insurance? Can I still go on that vacation that I plan right. next month? If you don't know and you're like, well, here's what's going to happen, but I don't know anything else, then right. that's what causes people to like go look for other jobs or get nervous that things are going to change.
1: Right. But I mean, if the doctor is able to say, look, you know, we have the buyer in place. We've identified that we're not changing anything. They just want to know, do I have a job? Yep. Is my pay going to be the same? Is my benefit package going to be the same? You know, what are the major changes? That's all they need to know. Yep. And if nothing is going to change, you're dealing with it right out front. Yep. Guys, nothing is going to to change yeah and if anything to, it's going to be for the better
0: yeah and you <laughs> have to prepare sellers it's your responsibility in my opinion to prepare the buyer for meeting of your staff Right. So, some of the best staff introductions or staff kind of notifications that have ever happened have been when the seller has said, Hey, let's meet and let's talk about every person on my staff. This is Sally. She's the front desk. She's been with me for 25 years. She's got a husband. She's got three grandkids. The most important thing to her is being able to go do X, Y, and Z with her grandkids. I let her leave at three on Wednesdays because she likes to pick up the youngest, like whatever that story is for each employee. So, when your buyer meets them for the first time, they are armed with that knowledge, they understand that. They can bring those conversations, those people, whatever's important to that staff member to the table and help ease whatever kind of nervousness because change is hard. None of us like it. It is scary. They're not in control. They probably need this job. And so being able to, as a seller, to prepare the buyer for the people that they're going to be inheriting as part of this transition and then allowing the buyer to utilize that to make them feel safer is also really important and can be really powerful.
1: Yeah, I've used this one before where if you're a buyer going into kind of a seller's market and The senior doctors interviewing multiple people, maybe just even get the job as associate. In this example, it's working for the senior doctors or selling it to this buying doctor. Is have that almost flashcards up, show the picture of Sally, and now you can show it. Here's pictures of all the team. Here's a little bit about each one of them. Go home and study it, buyer. You know, have the spouse flap that up just with a picture and be able to say, front desk Sally, 33. She cares about Mm -hmm. you know the following. Has two kids, eight, six, and they're both in soccer, right? You can go in and win somebody over very, very quickly with just knowing that you've done your homework. It mm-hmm. makes them feel good. This yeah. is going to be your team.
0: It's been thought out. You've prepared for this. You know, it's coming. It's not just a, hey, here's a new guy. Yep. Best of luck. Yep, yep. You know, that's
1: important. Yeah, there's a lot of rolling the eyes when you first meet the new guy or new gal.
0: And you have to prepare for hesitation. You have to prepare for the eye rolling and prepare for the nervousness and and have the action plan and have an understanding of you supporting the new person too, you know, from a seller's perspective, you have to, I am so excited for my family to come here and I am so excited to be here and this is gonna be great for the practice and here's what we're thinking. The, how you present that matters the most.
1: Yep. And the two doctors, in this case, both buyers, you really need to come together to talk about how that meeting is gonna go. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna lead, you know, this is what your role is gonna be. Then I'm gonna come back and say the following, this is what we're gonna do. And then we're gonna go after dinner After that, we're going over to my house. Whatever that is, it is a thought-out plan of how that meeting is going to go down.
0: Yep, and usually we like to say, in 100% acquisitions, we usually like for the seller to have a conversation with his team or her team, first solo, and then within a very short time, so maybe the meeting's in the morning, and maybe buyer shows up at lunch with lunch, or maybe at dinner, never on a Friday, never before a long break, always want to give them chance to meet the buyer in short order after they find out, but not immediately, right? Because they're going to have the eye rolls. They're going to have the what's happening. Maybe some people are going to be emotional because you're leaving. We want that to be able to pass and them to be able to come to the table for the buyer with like a fresh attitude. So, okay, so we skipped that. So this is the final question. This is probably the most asked question. How are you going to determine the value
1: of my practice? Well, Chrissy. You lead a valuation team. So, this is ridiculous that you're asking 30,000 foot Charles on valuation. So, one you, word, yeah.
0: one word. Just give me one word and I'll, and then I'll take it.
1: So, what's my question again? How am I going to How value? How
0: am I going to value the practice?
1: I'm going to look at the history. I'm going to look at the tax returns, the cash flow. I mean, I'm looking cash, at, I just want on. to see the profitability of the thing.
0: I knew you are going to be like, cash. Cash is king. Cash, cash is, is king. king.
1: You know, I love it.
0: No, yeah. So, I mean, if you, Listen to this podcast at all, then, you know, profitability and cash are driving the value of the practice. What I want to highlight here is if you are looking to value your practice and you know that this transition is coming, whether it's hundred percent or a partnership, the last year is not the only year we're looking at, right? So don't, think, oh, well, I might want to transition in 24. So let's just make 23 just like, I will work five days a week. I'm just going to pack them all in. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to like just bump it up. That's fantastic. And that's great because it shows the practice has the ability to do that. But if 23 varies dramatically from 22 and 21, then I have a lot of questions. The buyer's going to have a lot of questions and I have to use those years. So it's not like you're getting 60 to 80% of whatever your expectations are. It's probably all 80% of the last year we're really looking at the average of the last few years i would also rather see a stable practice than one that has a bunch of high lows sometimes we can't control those covid sickness you know maternity leaves whatever it is what it is but if i can see a practice that has been stable over the course of time you and i can probably have a better estimate of what that value is going to be because i can show this practice has replicated 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 so that's really important And then also just kind of if you have increases let's say you do have fluctuations it's important for us to know hey my practice was really down in 19 because i had a shoulder surgery and then COVID happened and then 21 was great right everyone had a great year in 21 22 is probably like more like a normal year if you look at 18 22 is probably more like i usually do those reasons for it being up or down i had an associate for six months it didn't work out now i'm just a one doctor it could be a two doctor will help even it out, smooth it out, normalize the cash flows, and normalize the story that we're telling to the buyers as we look for 100% acquisition type practices. It's also important to understand, if especially in a partnership scenario, I'm not valuing opportunity. So the fact that this practice could be a two doctor, if you could bring in someone and open up, you know, a whole nother slew of days or open up that second location full time, that's great, that's opportunity, not what we're valuing the practice on. So you don't expect to kind of see that in the dollar value from what you get.
1: Yeah, and you can, too, as a buyer if you're going to buy 100% of the practice, then obviously I'm going to use the data today. Mm-hmm. So maybe the year end of calendar year 22 and 21. And remember, we are going to use and do this average, but we are going to wait the most recent year yes. as more of a true reflection of the value. If million million in the business is doing 700 on that last year, then the business is going down. So therefore, I'm not just going to take 2.7 divided by three and say this is my average. I'm, I'm looking at that last year. So it does have an impact and you can technically... Uh, call it increase the value of your practice some if you're having that big year it's just not some 80 85 percent 90 percent that last year and to say well that's just what it's worked now because of this if it had like a major swing so from a value standpoint there's a lot of things to look at cash of course history of it obviously the assets as far as like we just made a major renovation we just finished out we just put all this brand new equipment in you know maybe if i'm expanding putting more operatories in more assistance and I have to build just for the associate to come in the practice, well, I'm going to value that business later because I've got to get credit for all of the capital investments that I've made. I think it's super interesting that if I take a look at a practice, and for example, say it's a million-dollar practice, and the million-dollar practice nets, you know, to me 400000 but I now have to go and make capital improvements for obituaries five and six. I have to hire the associate. I'm paying the associate $100. 120, maybe they're doing 40, $50,000 of collection. Now the business is growing. And so I have to pay them money. But when I look at it, now the business is doing one, four, one, five. It's so interesting that the associate is like, well, oh my God, I grew the practice. No, you did not grow the practice associate. I grew it for you. I put the capital improvements. I changed the marketing. I handed over those patients. I paid for that course. And when I look at it, I was making 400 grand. I took a pay cut when you came on board. And now I'm making like 450 to five. It's not like i'm making seven or eight and it's because i'm paying you and i'm paying for all these other things so naturally the practice value has to go up because so i have to recoup my investment mm-hmm. it's just logical but i guess it's logical for the seller who made all the investments it's not logical not for the person logical, no. the young person that did not make and take all of those risks so just know and be willing to have a reasonable increase in value and that's maybe using the last couple of years and not, hey, I've been an associate for 10 years, that would be unreasonable and not fair, so. Well, and if uh, you
0: didn't talk about it, I mean, like that, again, if you expect to get credit for the time that you're in the practice prior to the valuation, that should be a conversation you have well before agreed. the actual transition and valuation process starts because now the emotions are in it. Now we feel like we're, you know, not getting what we thought we were gonna get, but did you ever voice those right. communications? So when we value a practice, and what that value is are gonna be determined by what your conversations have been. We work with clients who say, hey, we agreed that we would value it when they started and value it now and average it too. Great, we'll be happy to do that, right? Or another factor that I think buyers should think about, if you're gonna buy into a practice, and let's say you're gonna be a partner, and that's when we often get the whole, like, I'm not paying for my work kind of comment. We're valuing the practice, let's say, as of 6, 30, 22. Your practice, it might take us let's say 12 weeks, like three months to get that value back. So now it's September. Let's say you're actually not gonna have a buy-in until like June of 23. That value is now a year old. And if your practice is truly growing, you've actually seen growth, right? That you're not paying for from, the valuation date through the actual transaction date. So understanding too that the valuation date and when you actually buy in, there's a lot of growth in those true like growth situations that's not being captured in that valuation. So I don't know. I have a hard time with the whole paying for it just like you do, but I think it's important to understand we're averaging it. We're trying to give credit for history. On the flip side, there are times when we work with sellers from a valuation standpoint and they've acquired another practice. They opened a new location and the most recent year. And there may be times where we say, "Hey, it's actually unfair to include 21 and 20 and 19 or whatever the historical years are because the practice is dynamically different, right? It will never not be two locations. It's always going to be two locations now." So the reason why we had growth is not because they put in an extra a day trying to inflate the value. They they invested a ton of money in the process. They opened a new location. They acquired another practice and merged it together. So we have to use one year right those are extreme situations but i always think it's important because every transition is unique to think about those one-offs where maybe the rule doesn't apply and we have to do something really unique but you should have a really good answer for why we're doing that unique thing in that one situation well
1: in the end from a value standpoint it better make really good sense to the seller who made the capital investments who believes yep. in the person and basically says if that person were to leave my staff would kill me yeah. my overhead would yeah. kill me and then my spouse and my kids would kill me because i am going to now have to go work Double. Yep. So in that example, that's again, we have a win and we need to make that work. And the same thing with the buyer. They're in this. Well, I feel like, you know, I grew this and now I'm overpaying. And why is this? Well, I'm looking at the value. I think it's reasonable and fair. I'm looking at how much you work and I'm looking at how much you're going to net. And you can find me another practice where you're going to net 50% because it's down 50% overhead that we've created in an environment that is just literally almost zero risk because of the amount of patients that have been fed and the marketing and the strategies. And you're doing these procedures and he's doing this procedure, she's doing that procedure. And you now are going to make four to $500,000 after the buy and you've been here two years. I get that you feel it's a little overvalued, mm-hmm. but oh my gosh, yeah. this is incredible. Yeah, you big know, picture. Th- th- you have to see big that big picture. picture. And so value is a lot of different things, but in the end, it's gotta work for both parties.
0: Yeah, and I think this is kind of a good question to wrap up on because it kind of has the same theme as the other pieces, right? It's gonna be a preparation, knowledge, like doing the homework before you start having to go through the process. Just same as buyer, same as are you prepared financially, your family, your practice, do you understand how the values are calculated, what your practice is even in the ballpark of. Clients that are prepared and do their research and listen to podcasts and have calls and have a financial advisor who's looking through their numbers are better prepared when it's time. They are not plagued as much by the emotion of it because they have the data part of it to like kind of guide them down the path.
1: Yep. agree.
0: So that's all we have for today. Good content. Same questions we always get, but hopefully this was helpful to you sellers listening and buyers as well. Thanks for joining us on episode 80 of Transition Talk. And if you have any dental transition questions of your own, please feel free to send them our way at ndptransitions.com. Fill out a little contact form. It'll come straight to our inbox and we'd love to help you with your transition needs. And as we gear up for 2023, there will be several opportunities to see NDP live and in person. If you were lucky enough to see Mr. Loretto for the ASDA District Eleven meeting this past weekend. Good for you. If you missed him, we're also going to be NDP's going to have a booth at the ASDA Annual Session, which is February seventeenth through nineteenth. So come by and score a water bottle and shake a hand. Our team will also be at the Chicago Dental Society Midwinter Meeting at the end of February there in Chicago. You can see Mr. Loretto live, and then a large portion of our team will be live in Atlanta for the Henman Dental Meeting. Always an incredible opportunity. NDP and Charles is putting on a practice ownership program March 16th through 18th. If you're a student listening and interested in attending that, please feel free to reach out to us. It should be a busy year. It's just the first quarter and we'll give you updates about where you can see us in the future. As always, make sure to share the transition love with those who may not know of us yet. And of course, subscribe to Transition Talk wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time.
1: Awesome. Thank you.